Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, though God does not call for all of us to go and, and serve Him in a foreign land, though that's not His plans for every one of us, and to, to lay our life down for the cause of Christ, He does call for all of His followers, all of His children, to go out and make Christ known where He is not known. We're all called to be His witnesses and we're all called to grow in godliness and reach that level of maturity where we are willing to make that sacrifice if the opportunity presents itself to us. We are all called to continue to grow in godliness and get to that point in our spiritual life where we are willing, if it be God's will, to lay it all down for Christ. And as we said last week, when you get to this point in your spiritual life where you are faithfully sharing Christ on a consistent basis and have this great desire to see the lost come to know him and trust in him alone for salvation which when you get to that point which by the way you should all be striving to get there but when you do one thing that you are guaranteed is to experience kickback from the world We said the world will definitely push back when you do this. Now, it may not be what Peter and John experienced in Acts 4, but when you're bold for Christ, like we talked about a few weeks ago, and when you take a stand for Him, and when you're faithful to do what He has called you to do and share the message He has called you to share, the world is not going to like it and is going to push back because God and His ways and His gospel are counter to the ways and the teachings of the world. We also said last week that this is a great way for you to test yourself to see if you are in fact being faithful to do what God has called you to do. Paul makes it clear in 2 Timothy 3, Jesus makes it clear in John 15 that if you live the life God has called you to live, you're going to collide with the world. Peter and John definitely did. After being faithful to share Christ in the courtyard of the temple, though many responded in repentance and faith. There were others in the crowd who responded with opposition and persecution. We learn in in Acts 4 that shortly after preaching this message, Peter and John were snatched up. They were arrested by the Sadducees. And last week, we looked at this arrest in the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 4. We examined this opposition and we, we looked to the example of these faithful disciples to know how we are to respond, how we are to deal with persecution when it comes. We, we got through the first three points and there are four more principles here that we learn about how to handle persecution from Peter and John. There's a lot here that we can draw out. But before we get into the, the four other points, let me briefly review the previous points we talked about last week for those of you all who are out. The first thing we learn from Peter and John on how to handle persecution is, number one, we got to be ready for it. 
We got to be ready for it when it comes. Don't be surprised when it comes, but be ready when it does. Peter and John knew the consequences of preaching Christ in the courtyard of the temple during the day out in the open for everyone to see. They had seen what had happened to Christ at the hands of the Jews, and they knew simply mentioning his name could land them in a world of trouble, especially doing it in the temple. But they were faithful. They had this crowd of Jews who had come, who had sought them out to to hear what they had to say. So Peter and John, they put their life on the line and they took that opportunity to preach Christ to them even though they knew the risk was great. They knew persecution might come. They knew the risk was great, but they preached Christ anyways. And as a result, though they are arrested, Luke tells us that 5,000 men come to Christ. That's just the men. Throw in the women and children, there could have been seven to 10,000 or more. So we, we learn that when you stand for Christ, when you are faithful to do what he has called you to do, when you submit to his lordship and take a stand for him and for faithfully proclaim his name and his message, you're going to get kickback from the world. You're going to collide with the world. But God blesses those acts of faithfulness and the fruit that he brings through that faithfulness is worth it here's the second thing we discussed last week about persecution we learned from peter and john that when it comes we're to respond by being filled with the holy spirit be filled with the spirit when peter and john were arrested we're not told they fought back We're told that they willingly went into custody. They submitted themselves to the authorities without any resistance. And they trusted in God. And we are also told they were spirit-filled. Which means they were under the influence of, guided and directed by Him. And because they were, because they were obedient to God and filled with the Holy Spirit, because they were so in tune with the Holy Spirit, they knew that through this arrest, God was simply putting them in a position and giving them another opportunity to preach His gospel. And the reason why we know that is because that's the first thing they do when given the chance. After they were arrested and brought before this influential group of Jews, they were asked, by what authority and by what power are you healing and teaching people like you do? They're given this wonderful invitation, right? This wonderful opportunity to proclaim Christ to this influential group of Jewish leaders. And Luke tells us, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we said last week, being filled with the Spirit will result in you sharing God's message of redemption. Though there are other fruits that come from being Spirit-filled, we learn in Acts 2 and we learn here in Acts 4 that Spirit-filled people, people under the guidance and the influence of the Holy Spirit, they boldly share Christ's message whenever the opportunity presents itself so if you want to know if you're spirit-filled 
want to know if you're under the guidance and the influence of the Holy Spirit, ask yourself this question. Am I boldly and unapologetically sharing his message when the opportunity comes up? Peter and John did. They didn't run and hide. They didn't shrink back. They expected kickback from the world. And when it came, they responded by being submissive to it and being spirit-filled. And because of that, they got a wonderful opportunity to share God's gospel in front of the most influential group of Jews in their day. There's a third principle we learned last week from Peter and John when faced with persecution, and it's this. We learned that they boldly used every opportunity for God. Boldly used every opportunity for God. In the previous point, we discussed when the opportunity presented itself to Peter, Peter took that opportunity. When asked by, by what power and by what name do you do this, we're told Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, takes this opportunity to preach an even bolder message about Christ than he did in the courtyard of the temple. His life could be on the line. That didn't faze Peter at all. He preaches Christ even bolder than before. He talks about their sin. He talks about God's salvation. He makes it clear that though sin is all us, salvation is all God. And he tells them that though they have rejected Jesus and have crucified him, he tells them there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. Peter tells this group of Jews who viewed themselves as being loved and favored by God, he tells them, you guys have made a mess of your belief system because you've crucified God's man. You have killed his Messiah. You have rejected the cornerstone, which means you have done away with the one who is most important, the only one who can save the lost from sin and death. Peter was given an opportunity to share God's gospel and share God's gospel he did. He used that opportunity to be bold for God and we should as well. We said last week, though God's message offends, we must not shy away from the truth of it. When asked, we must share it. When given the opportunity, we must teach it. We must teach that we're guilty because of sin, but can be saved by God's grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Well, that was last week. But there are still more lessons that we learn here that we're going to discuss this morning. Another thing we learned from Peter and John is this. Get this. When the world pushes back, continue to be obedient at all cost. Be obedient at all cost. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Man, the chips are stacked against these guys, right? Against the Sadducees, against the Sanhedrin. First, they had to deal with the boldness of Peter and John and with the fact that though they were common men, remember Peter and John, they were fishermen, they were holding their own against these guys when being questioned by them. Remember this council, they are the religious cream of the crop in Jerusalem. But that didn't phase 
Peter and John at all. They are just as bold here as they were in the courtyard of the temple. They're holding their own against these guys, so much so that those in this council knew that these guys had been with Jesus. Probably because they might have seen seen them with them. A few of them probably did at one time or another. But also because of the way they were handling themselves. It was just as Jesus would, right? It reminded them of Jesus. Another strike against this group is the fact that this man had been clearly healed. We're we're told that he's standing right there with them and they have nothing to say in opposition. I mean, what could you say? This man, everybody knew. He had been crippled his whole life and he's standing before them with Peter and John completely healed. And notice, he had been standing with them for hours. I mean, if you haven't stood a day in your life, this is a long time to be on your feet, right? We know that he was completely healed. And we're told he wasn't just standing around. In Acts chapter 3, we're told he was walking and jumping and praising God. It was a great miracle. He had been completely, instantaneously healed. So we're told here in verse 14, because of all this, they have nothing to say. They didn't have an argument. That's a tough problem for them to have, isn't it? But you know what? It's interesting here. Though they couldn't argue against it, though they couldn't deny it, they would not accept it. That is true unbelief on display right there. Look at verse 14 and 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Once again, we see the darkness of their unbelief and how their unbelief has put them in an impossible position. So they send Peter and John away to talk amongst themselves and they say, what shall we do with these men? Well, let me ask you this. I mean, what had they done to deserve them doing anything to them? As Peter said in Acts chapter 4 verse 8, the reason why we're on trial is concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. That's why they were on trial. And the religious leaders of the day, they were in a bind because it was obvious that this miracle had been done, this good miraculous deed had been done to this crippled man and they could not deny it, but they were dead set on rejecting it. But, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Though they wanted to do away with these guys, they would have liked nothing more than to do that. They couldn't because revival was breaking out all over Jerusalem. And Peter and John at this time were viewed by thousands as being heroes. So this would have been disastrous to the PR department of the Sanhedrin to punish Peter and John. So here's what they decided. Look at verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this Name. So notice here, they can't even mention him by name. They don't even mention Jesus by name. They just say this name. They're, they're so angry at, at, at the fact that Jesus is still being preached. And they say, what are we to do? Oh, I got it. Let's use our authority to threaten them to speak no more about Jesus. So in verse 18, we're told this. Look, they called them and charged them 
not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something here, church. It's going to make your toes very, very sore. Notice those in the early church had to be commanded to be quiet, while those in the modern church have to be commanded to speak. Those in the early church were told to shut up talking about Jesus. And we have to be told to speak up how we have drifted. We got a ways to go to get back on track. So they say you're not allowed to speak. And the word in the Greek means publicly. They're talking about publicly preaching Christ. They said you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to preach and teach publicly in the name of Jesus. No more preaching about him. And they put their authority behind it, thinking that would keep them quiet. But do you think it does? No. No, it didn't. You see, Peter and John had a higher calling, a greater authority to appeal to. Jesus had told them to go out into all the world and do what? Make disciples, right? He told them he wanted them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, they could have played it cool and said, okay, we'll do what you say and then go out and do the opposite. Or they could have remained silent, not said anything, and then went out and continued on in ministry. But notice here again their boldness. Look at verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Wow. Peter and John just dropped an atomic bomb on these group of Jews here. He said to them, You guys are the judge? You're the authority. Tell me this. Is it right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God? Now that puts them in a very tough situation because if they say, listen to us, they're placing themselves in authority over God and they weren't going to do that. But also, if they said, we're the ones speaking for God, then they're putting themselves against Peter and John who at this time have the support of thousands of Jews throughout Jerusalem. So they're in a bind. So what they decide to do is threaten them a bit further and then they have to let them go. Look at verse 21 22. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter and John stand their ground for God in his gospel and and they let them go because of the response to their message and because this man who had been crippled for over 40 years was standing before them healed. Now some will hear the the words and the read about the actions of Peter and John and they'll question them in this way. They'll say, "Well, I thought you're supposed to submit to those in authority over you, to governing authorities and submit to their authority." I thought that's what Paul says in Romans 13. Well, he does, but get this, there is a chain of command. And if the one in authority over you calls for you to do something that's counter to the one in authority over both of you, you're to appeal to that greater authority. If someone calls for you to do something that is counter to God's word, get this, you appeal to God and you obey him. Daniel did this, did he not? He gave us this example. 
The king signed an edict that said he couldn't worship the true God, couldn't pray to him. What does Daniel do? Does he follow that? No. We're told he continues on to worship and pray, and he doesn't try to hide it. They could see right in, see what Daniel was up to. And he had to pay the consequence for that. You know, someone may come along and say, you can't read your Bible, you can't pray to God, you can't share Christ. Believers, if we ever find ourselves in that situation, which, by the way, there have been some in our country who already have. Listen, we have a greater authority to appeal to. We belong to a greater king and a greater kingdom. And we must ultimately be obedient as God's kingdom people and live under his rule and reign and obey his authority. We learn that here from Peter and John, by the way. See it here. When told by those in authority over them, you cannot preach and teach about Jesus, they simply say, we must obey God and speak of what we have seen and heard from him. We have no choice but to obey God and preach about his son, the Lord Jesus. When faced with persecution, they were obedient to God at all costs. I heard someone say recently, the problem with most Christians today is that the voice of their neighbors is louder in their ears than the voice of God. Sadly, that's true of of many, but may that not be true of us. May that not be said of us, believers. I pray, if you're not there yet, that God would continue to grow you and mature you to the point where you're obedient to him at all cost. It's a story about John Chrysostom. Some of you might remember him from uh, those of you who took the early church history class in uh, FBU. He was an early church father and when threatened with banishment for preaching Christ, he continued to preach. And the Roman emperor said, if you do not stop, you will be banished. To which Chrysostom replied, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. He said, then I'll slay you. Chrysostom replied, no, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God. So he said, your treasures will be confiscated. He said, sire, that cannot be. My treasures are in heaven where none can break through and steal. And so he said, I will drive you from men and you'll have no friends. And Chrysostom said, that you cannot do either, for I have a friend in heaven who has said I will never leave you nor forsake you that's boldness that's being obedient at all cost here's another principle we learned from Acts 4 when faced with persecution we must band together with other believers look at verse 23 when they were released they went to their friends When they were released, they went to their own. They banded together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, when you stand strong for Christ and collide with the world, you are going to need the support of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to need the church. There are people today who believe they can be who God has called them to be apart from his people. They don't see their need for God's people at all. They don't see their need for his church. Not Peter and John. Peter and John didn't have this mentality. They would have thought that was crazy, that anyone would reason in that way. 
Because they were being faithful witnesses for Christ and were being bold for him and colliding with the world, they rightly understood that they needed the church for strength. Is this your perspective? If not, chances are good. You're not faithfully doing what God has called you to do because when you do, you're going to get kicked back from the world and when you get that, you're going to see your need for God's people. You see, persecution drives God's people together. It does. We see that here in the first century. Notice the next response. When persecution comes, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. That's radical, isn't it? Look at verse 23. And they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They're back with the church family. And when the church heard it, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, what did they say? Did they say, please, God, keep us from this persecution? Is that what they said? Did they say, God, please don't ever allow this to happen again to Peter and John? Did they say, God, how could you allow this to happen? Is that what they said? Now look at verse 24. They said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by his Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Notice here, they praise the Lord for his sovereignty. When, when, when faced with persecution, they basically say, God, you're in control. You know all things. You said this was going to happen long ago. You said it through your servant David. You said that rulers and leaders were going to set themselves against your people. And that's exactly what has happened here. You allowed Herod and Pontius Pilate to rise to power and they came against Jesus. But through their opposition through their persecution, through the suffering and death that they brought to your son Jesus, you brought about salvation. And you are continuing that work through us. They basically say, God, we acknowledge that you're in this. I mean, think about it. Peter and John were arrested. And they were right before the cream of the crop who were opposed to them. And they preach Christ right there before them. And then they let them go. Two people who God had used in a mighty way to bring thousands into the kingdom and then they're standing right before the religious leaders of the day. They preach Christ to them and then they let them go on out and do more fruitful ministry. You see, the church saw that and they said, God, we see that you're in this. We see your hand in this. They knew that God was in this and so they blessed the Lord in the midst of persecution for his sovereign hand and for his predestined plan. After that, after blessing the Lord, they beg him for more boldness. That's the last point. Talk about radical. This is amazing. Again, they don't ask that he would rescue them from persecution, but that he would give them more boldness in the midst of persecution. Look at verse 29. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with some boldness. Is that what it says? It says all boldness. They were ready to go right back out there again, and they were praying that God would give them the boldness to do so. And then look at what they say in verse 30. This is great. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying that God would pull out all the stops. They're saying, stretch your hand to heal. Do mighty signs and wonders. Blow the doors wide open for your gospel message. They were ready to get right back out there in the world in the power of the Spirit, both guns blazing. And they prayed that God would do whatever it takes to open the door for the gospel message so that thousands more could come to Christ. Now let me ask you this. Do you think God answers prayers like that? There's a familiar prayer that's coming to mind that says, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not what they're praying here? You think God answers that prayer? You better believe it. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Once again, speaking the word of God with boldness is in direct connection with being filled with the Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. They go out and they preach the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. You know what? God will do that for you if that's your heart's desire. The question is, is it? Is that your desire? Let's look at these principles again. Maybe you're looking through these this morning and you're thinking, nope, not me. It's not my desire. I I don't desire to share God's message, and if I did and I got kicked back from the world, I definitely would not respond in this way. That is not my desire. If this is your mentality, I know you wouldn't say it out loud, but maybe deep down in your heart, that's the way you feel. If this is you, if you have no desire to make God known and to get to the point in your spiritual life where you are standing for Christ like Peter and John here, may I suggest something to you? Chances are good you've never truly responded to his message to begin with and have been changed by it. It's hard to hear, but it's true. Now, I'm not saying we're all doing this the way we should. I think we would all say, no, I'm not. But do you desire to stand strong for Christ like Peter and John? Do you desire to see the lost come to know him? If not, there's something amiss in your life spiritually and if that's the case let me just take a few minutes just once again to share with you what you must do before you can begin to move in this direction before you can be passionate about god's message you have to know it personally before you can share about the changing power of God, you have to have experienced it. And before you can be passionate about advancing God's kingdom, you have to be a part of it. And the way that happens is by you coming to understand you've sinned against a holy and righteous God. And though he has every right to wash his hands of you because of your sin, he's made a way 
for you to be right with him once again through the person and work of his son. You see, Scripture tells us God sent his son to be for us what we could never be, perfect inside and out, and he sent him to the cross, and we're told Christ went willingly, and he laid down his life to appease God's wrath. He was, as we sing in here on occasion, the perfect sacrifice crushed by God for us so that we through him could be forgiven of sin and made right with God once again. And if you this morning have not, if you would, give your life, up and over to him if you would turn from your sin trust in God's son alone for salvation you can be forgiven of your sin and made right with him right now today and I pray if you never have made that decision that you would before you leave here turn from your sin trust in Christ alone for your salvation let me pray for us